Ladies and gentlemen, it is episode four of George Ezra and Friends, the podcast. My name is George Ezra. I'm a musician. I'm a singer. I'm a songwriter. I'm a mover and a shaker. <laughs> um, I first released music about four years ago or so, and I've been very busy ever since. And uh, yeah, keeping out of trouble. My guest this week is the lovely, the legendary Craig David. I have never met such a positive man. We, we met up at Sony Music HQ here in London. Craig and I sat down for about an hour and uh, we just spoke about Craig's experiences and everything he's learned along the way. It was an amazing insight into such an amazing career. A real pleasure. So thank you, Craig. Um, as always, I would just say there might be one or two swear words in this. I don't know. Bit of rude language. If you have got kids in the car or around the house, I just wanted to give you a heads up. I don't think there's much, though. Ah, I don't know. I'm going to stop talking. Ladies and gentlemen, sit back, enjoy Craig David. There's a load of stuff I want to talk about, if right. we can get onto it. Like, something that it's popped up a lot with you talking about new music and everything mm. is a lot of people want to talk to you about your time in Miami. Yeah. Which will be great to talk about. But something before that, yeah. I'd love to know about your time growing up in Southampton right. and what that was like. And, you know, the happy times you look back on. And mm. was it a childhood that kind of lent itself to being one of the biggest names in pop music or was it a massive difference what was it like I've got really f like fond memories of growing up in Southampton it was like I was living in uh, Queen's house in the Holy Rood there was a block of flats um, and I knew that flat that I was in with my mum for 16 years of my life yeah so that's, that's that was my reference point but the things that had gone on in that period of time from getting my first uh, record deck for my birthday and then like being so overwhelmed but man like proper Technics 1210 deck but then also in the other part of me was like mum but I sort of need another one and a mixer to make this sort of work but this is <laughs> this is good for now we can uh, do something with this don't worry I'll plug it in the hi-fi and we can just play records and, then, <laughs> and that built to like me getting a mixer and, a, and a, another deck for like Christmas so it kind of all played out um, the, the, the state that I was on was kind of really relaxed it was one of those like but I think for some people that if they walked into the estate they would, could have said it was a bit rough but um, when you live in, in in a certain estate that everyone knows you like you, the, mate, the guy down the road you know who's supposed to be the, the guy that everyone's got to stay, stay clear of and you just sort of you're in the mix it's but home it is, it is home and I think, I think I found that music was like was it was a nice way to sort of to bridge me away from any of the nonsense that could have gone on in, in the estate, do you know what I mean? Like, when people were getting, starting to get into crime and people wanted to make a bit more money and they were just sort of trying to find ways to do that, I was like, my thing was, I need to make some mix CDs and mixtapes and go sell them at my local barbers and use all the printer cartridges and the paper from my college and just rinse. I mean, people are like, oh, you're in the library all the time, man. Like, you're working hard. I'm like, yeah. Oh, I'm working hard. Don't you worry about that coming out and rinsing it. Just like making my little, using uh, words to make my covers. I mean, when I think about technology, how far it's, it's come on from then. But all that, I was getting like £10 a pop for my CDs with some of my tunes on it. And then I was doing my DJing rounds and stuff. So Southampton was, was a really healthy place. And my mum and dad, I owe so much to for grounding me and also 
going above and beyond their means to, to support me. Like, my mum would always buy me the... We'd go up to London to, to buy records. And she'd always somehow have an extra 20, 30 pound in her pocket to buy that vinyl that she knew I was going to be like, but mum, I need to... Oh, man, I've run out of money. This is the one I need to play. Somehow the, the money came out. And I knew, in hindsight, looking back, that she couldn't... It must have been savings because there was no way she was making that amount of money from the job that she had a week to be able to do that. So when you think of those things and you think how my dad kept me cool and didn't let me go off into nonsense, I'm really happy for it now. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So. And do you, was there a kind of a scene where you, were you falling in love with music and making your mixtapes and printing off the, mm. the you know, were, did you have friends that were interested in it as well? Was there a little gang of you doing it together? Do you know what? I was on a bit of a solo mission, if I'm being honest. Um, but it, it kind of did lead... I mean, my other friends were kind of more into, like, playing football. So, like, it would either be going playing football on the cricket pitch and getting, like, the groundsmen, like, running over, like, every five minutes, like, shouting, going nuts that we were playing on there. But it was, like, was the only part that seems like we can actually have that nice, like, pro like the like, Slampton at the Dell when I was used to go to those games to watch the games. Crisp grass. Where it just <laughs> on the like, cricket pitch. And, oh, man, that's the grass you wanted. That's that football pitch grass, when the, especially if it's been raining a little bit and it just, just skips off the grass. So, um, yeah, we'd always be getting told off there. And I had other friends that were kind of kind of on the come up of the, the technology. Sort of, they had computer, they had a PC, so they were always like putting hard drives in yeah. and different processors. And there were those guys um, trying to sell me stuff that I didn't really want. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't need a new hard drive or if you put this processor in, it's going to make this happen and that happen. So, yeah, it just all lent to me then kind of meeting up with Mark Hill from, from the Artful Dodger, which I did have a friend called DJ Flash. I still have a friend called DJ Flash who definitely put me on like I used to go to one of his nights at my dad's um, local community centre that he used to perform at and he said to me like I used to run up on the mic and just grab it and just vibe and I knew he couldn't really say too much because my dad was like one of the chairmen of the, of the club paying his wages so he had to kind of be cool with me so it was a beautiful in yeah to entertain it yeah, just... ah, but, then he, but then actually I think he was like you know what you do, you're doing alright you're, like, you're, you're, you're good at this MCing thing so he sort of took me under his wing, and he was 25 years old, I was 15, so he was like a chaperone for me, and that, that was how I got into the scene. He, he let me do a little... I was emceeing for him, but then I had this little thing, and I've said to him a few times, and he said, I didn't know that that was what you used to this do. This is Flash. This is DJ Flash, yeah. yeah. I used to say, oh, look, I think that girl's checking you out over there. You need to... Like, she's been looking at you all night. He's really, really... Yeah. So then he goes, OK, Craig, Craig, just play for, like, a little 15 minutes or something. Let me go over and do it. I go, yeah, cool, don't worry, man. You go go do your thing, but do it now, man, because you might go. <laughs> He's gone off into the crowd now. Good 15, 20 minutes, yeah. I'm having the time of my life mixing and DJing, yeah. And then he comes back. He's like, oh, bro, like, she wasn't into it. I was like, I, I don't know what happened there, man. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe you just took it too long. She thought you were playing too hard to get. And, and that's how I got my... You got to spin, like, three spin tunes in that tunes time. in a proper big club. Amazing. Where he was a resident. And that got me the confidence to say, you know, I can do it myself. And then it led to me doing my own residencies. There's also that beautiful thing of so much amazing music comes from kids because there's no fear. They don't know what's right and mm -hmm. what's wrong. Yeah. They're just giving it a go. Of course. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's going back to... I think you have to really, like, embrace your... like. The little you, the kid inside of you, all of the time. Even when you get to an adult stage where you, you sort of you, you think that you know the world and you know what's going on, but you you start to realise the things that really resonated with you that made you happy were the basic, simple things. It's like uncontrollable laughter with someone. You can't you could put, can't even put a price on that. Like that 
feeling is just like you just can't even have, even thinking about. It. I can tell you when you're smiling. <laughs> yeah, it's like you, you start well. to think of something. It's just that <laughs> it makes you remember a moment. You're just like, wow, that's a good feeling. And I I yearn for those moments. I yearn for that going on stage and feeling like the upliftment in things. You know what I mean? So it's very basic things that I'm very happy with doing. Yeah. And then you from that. Yeah. Something has to happen at some point that then means that you're catapulted into this whirlwind of mm. success w with music that you're putting out and projects that you're involved in and no one can really prepare you for that when it happens it's not no. like you know you'd study maths english and yeah. having a hit single that's not <laughs> yeah. a thing of course, of course. so how did you find that transition of when did you notice things to start started picking up um when i met mark hill um and pete devro from the artful dodger who were playing in the same club that i was DJing in they were playing like a house and garage set upstairs I was doing the R&B hip hop floor and we just we both I mean it was like serendipity moment sort of where we both met and I was always needing like some the music to be able to accompany these lyrics and melodies I was putting down he was looking for like a top line writer and someone to put to sing over the instrumentals he was making it was almost like we marriage made in heaven and then it was like but where's the studio oh it's five minutes around the corner from where we both are living so it's like this is a dream so once that happened and then what you're going to do was the first song with with them with the alpha dodger and then we had a song called something and both these songs were like bubbling but what you're going to do got a little interest in london so i went up into a couple of pas for the first time get my mate in his yellow fiesta and for listeners what is a pa a pa so a public performance so it was, my, it was a performance of the song usually at this time in a club you go up there, do one, two songs in the night, and then you, you either stay up there or head back home. So I go up in my mate's little yellow fiesta, we play a couple of tunes on the way up, get hyped, go up there, do the show, and then he'd drive back, I'd give him some petrol money, and we were good to go. But what I saw start happen was when we released Rewind. Something different was happening when I was doing these performances. I was looking into the crowd, and I could see everyone was so up for it especially all the way up until it got to the chorus and then they didn't know what quite to do because it went to this sort of half-time drop where the bass line was sort of taking over and it wasn't this kind of two-step uh, drum pattern which was giving you the feel that it was like a bit of a dance tune it almost went like half-time like it was a slow jam um, so for anyone listening at home so if you've got the, 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 the two-step skippy part would have been like that. and then the half-time at the same tempo but it just went so it's half time so you kind of so at that point people were thinking well you're supposed to go up in the chorus and it was like and I had a lot of things I was thinking is this connecting or not because I'm looking at the crowd and they're like not sure what to do and then it ended up taking its own life and Rewind turned into something that I I, I mean I could never have dreamt that it would be as big as it did I mean I didn't have a radio plugger who's someone who would go into a radio station and try and get a song played the radio people calling up the radio stations so much the commercial radio stations and then the big stations saying what, can you play this rewind can you play this rewind because I was hearing on pirate radio stations they were going crazy for it but like to the point where it got added with nobody walking in there with a record I was just like this doesn't happen I've never like these kind of things are so special good. ah and then it it changed my life that was was never ready for but I think the age I was at 17 years old I was you, you, you go on the wave and you're just like you don't question yeah, it yeah you just go do you know what I mean you're just thinking if you can handle living on a council estate for most of your life and kind of on the hustle wow I can handle this what we're going, what, we're going to a different country to perform yep I'm on the plane yeah, let's yeah. go it's that kind of vibe so. and there's a, there's, a, there's a big difference between 
I can relate so much, by the way. My mm. mate used to drive around in his Skoda. Really? Be like, there's the money. Oh, and then go and do little open mic nights. Love it. Um, but there's a difference between that and then suddenly someone, you know, you start to build up momentum and someone's like, right, we're going on tour. That's the next step. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, going, uh, how did you find that existence? <clears throat> you know, the bus, the loading into a venue and, you know. That was, I've got to say, it took a, it took a minute to... Well, the first thing I was kind of thrown into the deep end was doing a live TV because... I'd done rewinds with the Alpha Dodger and it was, we did Top of the Pops. Can I quickly interject? Yeah. One of my earliest memories of music is you. I'm f- in my head, you're like head to toe in white. You've got a white beanie on. And right. it might have been Jonathan Ross or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you remember I remember it so, so vividly. My man. Just Listen, I'm telling you, that was a game changer for me because we did... It was... Uh, I'll tell you exactly what it was. It was, it was TFI, TFI Fridays was the first acoustic performance that I did. So it was Chris Evans doing his thing and the whole show was all lively. And I remember doing Fill Me In Acoustic. And I think what kind of ended up being like such a pivotal moment in my career, because it was like, everyone was like, oh, this garage guy, he's got this garage thing going on. It was all about kind of having to, the melody being held by the beat. But as soon as you stripped it away and it was just acoustic, I was getting people who wouldn't be listening to garage music saying, oh, Oh, I really love that song that you did. And then we did Jules Holland like a, a few weeks later and we did the same thing again. And it was starting to now cross into a place of like, oh, there's a, actually there's a song in this film you thing. And this guy, well, you can actually sing live. It's, it's a, and I've got to say that it, it was just like, it, having done that, I was then almost ready for anything. Because a live TV, acoustic, all on my vocal now, nothing to, you can't turn around, there's no BVs are going to come out of nowhere. That's the deep end. Do you know what I mean? And it, to pull it off was like, I'm ready now. And then the touring part then ended up being like, this is, I was with Fraser T. Smith, um, who was my acoustic guitarist then, and almost if you fast forward, since then has done produced Adele, and uh, more recently Stormzy, and Dave, and Kano, and a whole bunch of things. So as a producer, in his own right, he's gone on to such great things, but I remember Fraser, my acoustic guitarist, as me there playing, and. And there's such TV. an element of it, it's chance in it. Like, you're just going, like you said, you dive in, you don't ask questions, you just, yeah, I'll do it. Fully. And my manager says, like, he, because he was very much like saying the acoustic performance is going to be the one, because I think they were really adamant about me doing a band show. And he just felt like, you just come from, like, one minute doing P- PAs and p- these public performances of Rewind in a club. That's cool when you've got an instrumental on and you're doing it with the, with the vocal. But a full band and rehearsing it up and you and then that, using monitors correctly and, the, and all these lot of things going on. And he was like, no, I can't do this to you. So he stripped it back and then the acoustic thing almost became my thing. Like, I, like whenever I did a tune, we're going to break it down acoustic. It's standard, so. It's a ma- and it's such a good marriage. That, like, the garage sound and quite synthetic beats and stuff, mm. but then with, like, Spanish guitar on top. You know guitar. It's, it's so good. Thank you, bro. Um, yeah, so then you, you, you're on tour and that becomes, you know, your existence. Um, is there any th- periods of touring in particular <laughs> that stand out as, you know, highlights and when you feel like it's just right, the stars are aligning and everything's... I'd say at that time it would have been that first Born to Do It tour. I can remember standing outside of um, Wembley Arena and it had the, the three nights um, that I was performing there. I mean, that was in itself. Wait, was what capacity like, is Wembley Arena? So, Wembley Arena, I think it's about 10,000. About 10, 30,000 tickets if you're doing three nights there. Like, I looked up and I was just like, 
the sold out, sold out, sold out. And I, we took the picture. And, and at the time, I mean, I was overwhelmed. I mean, don't get me wrong. You're playing Wembley Arena three nights in a row. It was going to be madness. But only when I look back at the picture now, I'm just thinking, like, almost to my, to my little self, like, back then, saying, did you realise? Do you actually realise what's going on here? I mean, and it, it, it warms my heart when I think about it. Because I just think, you know what? It was a, such an amazing time. Like, I know artists that have worked so hard to get to a point in their career where they can release their album and do their thing. But to have been at that age and for everything to go... It seemed fast, but I think because of being under the wing of DJ Flash and the DJing and being on the scene, I'd, I'd sort of started a lot younger because I honed all my craft through the, the vinyl skipping when you're in a club and you've got the mic and PA crowd looking at you. And yeah, and like, what are you going to do? Fight or flight. So there's me freestyling something while my other hand's trying to find another vinyl to put on and sweating like I'm in a sauna, a crowd looking at you and you're like, and then you pull it off and then someone comes up to you and says, oh man, I was sick when you did that acapella thing and then you mix the tune. And they think it's deliberate. Yeah, and they're like, bro, why are you sweating so much, man? Like, you sit to me, I'm like, if only you knew, if only you knew. And those things that I think once you hone a lot of the things prior to to actually having that opportunity when it arises you're so ready for it so that's why I'm always a bit like when young up as aspiring artists come through I'm like it's okay to be doing that PA, that PA in a pub yeah. with one man and his dog trust me don't turn you, down a yeah, gig do those because those set you up it's like because when you when it all kicks off and you're in a situation where now you're at, I don't know, you're at the Grammys and that situation's happening and you can't hear something and there's you and a pianist and you're like we, we, you got to tell cut the pianist off I'm going to go to acapella and own it because you've been there before and, there's more, and I think those things for me like you don't really want to be learning on the fly because or with, with lights on and cameras it's, it's a different feel you know what I mean yeah. and I think also when, you, when you're starting out it makes you appreciate when suddenly you've got a monitor engineer that makes it sound good or whatever you're yeah. like oh man I got so used to it just always sounding shit but <laughs> yeah. now this is such a blessing you live and you learn so you were just saying about, I mean, three nights sold out at Wembley, mm. huge, and I've, I've heard you say before, I think I've read it somewhere, part of the allure of moving over to Miami is that Americans innately just, they celebrate success. Mm. It's not, in, <clears throat> in any capacity, it's like success is, n is no bad thing. Yeah. Whereas, and it's just a fact, over here in England, we love the underdog so people yeah. will be patting you on the back going you're doing amazing 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 until you actually fulfill it <laughs> and you deliver you know and you then, deliver it and yeah. like, no 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 this is, yeah. this is, we didn't sign up for this we, no. didn't, we didn't want this we so wanted the underdog did you feel that at the time was there was um, there an element of feeling like hang on a minute I'm achieving and all of a sudden that's not what you want do you know what I think if I'm being absolutely honest and it's, it, it's beautiful hindsight because you start to see how things play out and it's all necessary when I got to the second album, Stick in Your Average, I think from what I could see is a lot of people, and, and I love that album, is, it was a progression How for me. How quick was the turnaround between first and second? Um, we dropped that in 2002, so a two year. Nice. Yeah. Um, it was a different sound, it was a different sounding record. Um, worked with different producers, uh, I wasn't working with Mark Hill as much, we had a couple of tunes on that record. Um, and I think when I look back, it's like, from what people wanted I think they just they were really like they bought into something that was so huge in terms of the acoustic guitar and and pretty much acoustic guitar and vocal I mean that was really what my songs were all about that when it started to move into more of electronic 
sounds and, and kind of, I think it was a bit new and as much as Watch Your Flavor did really well and it was, it was and Rise and Fall on that album again back to acoustic seemed to resonate I think it was there was an, an evolution that looking back that's probably what kind of shifted people a bit like oh okay well oh it's not the acoustic thing but I kind of like it but not it put me in that place and then that's when your head starts to get involved which is the worst part where you start to overthink things and you're starting to think what is the next move and what should I do and what whereas when you were just the all eyes open I just love music I just want to create that's why usually everyone's first record is, is the one that kind of really it, it, it amplifies exactly and personifies who they are then you go on an evolution and sometimes you tend to go all the full circle and come back to what, exactly what you're doing which for me I found I'm just doing what I did what got me into music in the first place um, so I felt it wasn't necessarily people that were saying to me like oh it was more myself it was my own thoughts becoming a little bit fearful about the projection of seven million records sold then it was three and a half million three and a half million records I mean I think about that now so your first record and then to your second into my record second so seven million was born to do it it was three and a half million on the second album which and is still insane the record label were like they were predicting like 10 going that that, that route because that's just the way it was going I somehow that's what was like you were just saying then how could three and a half million albums be something that you were somehow not you were like a bit of a downer on give three and a half million albums to anyone right now they will be dancing for it'll be new year every day yeah go buy your hand off for it so for me I start to buy into the nonsense and that's what and that's been a good thing over this and if I can give any wisdom to any artist is just like don't go there because what happens is that the number one that you may have had if you start to have fearful thoughts or define yourself by the number one then it can only be a number two three four five six seven whatever it may be if you define yourself by the number of records you sold it's always going to be less like but but if you define yourself by i just love music i just want to go and perform and i'm having a good time you're winning you'll always win and i think that for me is why this whole cyclical thing of being here Recognizing that you're only three minutes away from changing your life, it's the music, it's the songs. That is now. It's like I've had the aha moment of like, oh, I just needed to go to the studio and record. I didn't need to worry about all the other stuff and get my head all involved. Yeah. Oh, okay, get it now. All right. <laughs> it's that simple. Okay. We are halftime break. I cannot tell you how how excited I was when Craig David started beatboxing. Um, uh, that I could have stopped recording then. I was so happy. Um, what a guy! And while we're all here, of course, I would just like to remind you that my brand new album is available to pre-order now. It's called Staying at Tomorrow's. It's a collection of songs about dreaming and escaping and taking yourself away from the world around you, which I think we could all do with a little bit of that. 
if you head to georgeezra.com, you can pre-order it in a whole load of different varieties. There's picture discs, there's pink vinyl, signed vinyl, signed CDs, cassettes. There's a bundle where you get it all. There's all sorts. So if you're interested, head over to georgeezra.com. And thank you to all of you that have pre-ordered it already. It's amazing. It genuinely does mean a lot to me. Um, and I think you're going to love it. I really do. Um, right, I'm not going to take up too much of your time uh, now. Let's jump back into the conversation and hear what Mr. Craig David has in store for us. Here we go. What was the allure of Miami? Like, mm. what kind of lured you in I mean I can think of a thousand reasons to move to Miami but what <laughs> was much, it for we're, you we're, we're pretty much probably the same yeah. I mean I think I went the first time in 2000 and that was to do like a it was like an E4 music where they used to take you to a different place and you did, did a little like performance of your song and I was like wow Miami this is sick this is nice and then I started to go for like every new year and I used to go with Fraser actually we used to go for like five or six years we went to nice. back, back and forth so we'd spend two weeks there turn up have fun and be cool and I was like, if I could only own a place here, it would be so amazing. Just to have my, my clothes here and I just come on the plane and just turn up and it's just home. So I started looking at a little holiday home. And it was in this uh, new block called the Mondrian Hotel that they just built there, which was similar to where I'd stayed in LA. So I sort of knew the vibe and I was like, I like that contemporary kind of Philip Stark designer, that style. I was like that fresh style. And then the, de the developer did a little number on me where he was like, saw the, uh, the, the space and the amount that I was looking to pay it was all cool I thought oh this is going to be nice and he's like oh you don't want to go upstairs and I was like what? oh you don't want to go upstairs this is the other apartment has got like bigger suites and uh, what? sorry <laughs> so he did all the classic little, oh okay look, let's have a little look upstairs then so I went upstairs and I saw it was called Tower Suite 5 which leans into TS5, TS5. Shows. So I, and I looked and I saw this view and it was just it had been demolished so it was just like rubble but the view I was just like, if I could wake up to this view every morning, I, I, I'm good. Like, and it, at that moment, something in my soul said, you're going to have to make a decision here because this is not holiday home style now. This is home home. You've, you've taken it. So you need to make a decision. I see. So yeah. because of the view and the beautiful yeah. opportunity, that informs, okay, actually, this isn't just a yeah, weekend this, vibe. Yeah, this, this is, is now, you, this Monday is your, morning. This is you're gonna, which one do you want to do? Because I was had a home in London. It was like, but this is not both situation now. Like which do you and I just ran with it I was like I, I just had to wake up to this made that move which I then stayed for like four four or five years so just so, quickly sorry, no, sorry. I'd never heard of and this is mm. my ignorance I didn't realise you could buy a room in a hotel oh yeah yeah. They, they, I didn't know until like I was looking and they said oh no you can you can you could buy a room which is why the holiday home would have been perfect because you rent it back out you, oh, you can put amazing. it back into the programme and it becomes until you want yeah. it, you book it out. Yeah, and, and it's you yours. Go back. So, so it's perfect. You're making money, and it, and you go in and spend your time, and it's looked after under the, the hotel services. So I was like, this is golden. But little old me had to get little ideas over here, grand ideas even, and just like <laughs> and just what I was living. It was living the dream, yeah. But I kind of felt like it. I learned so much from it that there was a. It was a there was a cloud to the silver lining of the fact that when I moved there I was so removed from everything over here in the UK and from the culture and from my friends and my family it's like 
that's why when people are like, well, what happened? Where did you? You're not making music for like four or five years. I was like, no, I was making music at a studio in my home, but I was just like on a different wave. I was just like, it was about the the home and it was about the sports car. And it was almost like I felt like somehow I was going to be fulfilled because the view was beautiful. But I thought, yeah, if I live here now, we're good. But somehow the music started to fall off, and it was just like, and I was unsigned at that time as well. So there was, I didn't realize yeah. That. So I was with Universal. I was there for like a, a an album deal, which was actually a covers album that I was doing. It did alright. It was cool. It, it, and I thought it was going to be my next break because I can get do my own stuff. So there was a period of being unsigned. So it was like a, it had its dark part where it was like you're unsigned, you're far from your friends and family. But wait a minute. I'm in Miami, man. I've got a sports car. Life is good. Let's vibe around. <laughs> the bit that really stands out to me is mm. the st- the kind of distance and separation from friends and family. Yes. That's the bit I think I would have found hardest mm. about that. I I, I needed. To, I learned the the hard way, like through doing that. I mean, thankfully, I have such a strong connection with my manager Colin Lester, who's been with me for like 17 years, and he ended up. I, I feel like it was actually part of it, buying a place in in like an hour away in Boca to almost be close to me as well and to slowly kind of he always just said listen I'll protect you as a manager and create the environment for you so if that's what you want to do right now then that's the phase and for a long term for a long career it's not about just keep your music out if you go through a phase and you want to get married and have kids it's like as a manager you'd be like you respect your artists and that's the phase they're going through and if they want to put records out again I'll be here and hopefully I can help you financially keep you stable for things and I then ended up throwing this house party because I was like, you know what? I was gonna some friends have some, some drinks with my yeah with my mates. Get a little ten ten friends over, a couple little pre gamer shots before you go out to the club. All good. Next thing you know, that turned into people wanting to play around with my playlist on the iTunes thing. So it went from like I don't know, some hip hop tune. Uh, I always use Juicy or, or Big Papa. So it's like you know house party feel, and then it would just like, somehow bust into like Macarena. I like, bro, who? How did that? And they'd be like, oh man, and my finger slipped and it went. It's them ones as well where there's like a, an amazing tune on and then someone gets a big idea and it's not even halfway through the song and oh, suddenly yeah. and another song's cut, on. So it cuts and it's to a tune that nobody wants. <laughs> and I've been drinking and I shouldn't be able to hear this yet. I should be so waved right now that it's just like, I don't know what's going mm. on. But that's just like put adrenaline through me and I'm sober. Yeah. This is not a good feel. So I ended up raining that back in, got some little DJ controller. Started like doing my own little mixing while they were saying so that, that solved that. But then they were like, "Oh, you're Mr. Hostman now. You need to grab a mic." Okay, cool. So I grabbed a little mic. So then I started just vibing it and just and pretty much just making everyone feel VIP in there. So I'd be like, "Oh, big shout out going out to whoever, Marco. Yeah." Are you and this is all at your in? apartment. Just in my apartment. So it's still us, just mates. And then the mates started to invite a few friends, which was cool. I was like, because I I trusted them enough, and I said, out outlined it like, if you're going to bring people into my home, they've got to respect to my home. This is not a club, so don't bring some jokers in here and it just all so it was always cool and it built it was building and then all of a sudden like, we got 20 people and 30 people and then the next week it was 40 people and the guest list seems to be getting higher to the point where was a, you had to get some security on the door I was going to say you know you're in trouble when there's a bouncer when there's security on the door and you're on a guest list right you know and it started to build and then from that little did I know that the puzzle was starting to play if I could pull out from this it was all starting to unfold from the messing around with the playlist me getting a DJ controller me then getting on the mic then me being asked to sing one of my own tunes at the party, which I was like, really? You sh- that's not really the move. But then, oh, let me introduce you to whoever, some, this, this girl that's come through. Oh, she, oh, you can sing seven days. Maybe I can do a verse of that for you. <laughs> Maybe just one little verse. Okay, okay, cool. Which then got me to put, add a couple of songs into the set, 
which then led on to people asking, can I get a, a mix CD? And I'm like, bro, I haven't got a CD player, let a mix CD, but I can put it on SoundCloud for you. Put it on SoundCloud. SoundCloud then gets picked up, starts getting a little radio action in the UK. Then we're like, why don't we do a show at Oslo in Hackney? Like, so this is over a three-year period of Miami, and then all of a sudden, Oslo, Hackney, do a first show, sells out, do a little TS5, then we get to Shapes in Hackney, a little bit, bit bigger venue. Then we ended up in Coco. I'm thinking, something's happening here. This is not house party anymore. This is starting to translate. Then we fast forward, we were at Brixton Academy, and you're seeing it, and you're like, wow. So we should just say, I don't know if you mentioned it, but this is TS5. This is TS, TS5. Which was the name of your apartment, yes. and then is also now the name of your... Of what, my live show, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's, it, I couldn't, and it's the thing that I left when I entered into, from the kid who was with his Technics 1210s, I couldn't, that part didn't, didn't sort of translate into me because I went straight into acoustic guitar band. It was like, where's this DJ sort of element part gonna happen? So it was a part of me that I used to love so much, but didn't come with me. And it's like, oh, it's almost like it said, listen, don't worry. The, the vinyl thing may kind of sort of fade and there'll be like Serato and there'll be some sync button situations which will actually help you because it'll make your set so much faster. And I'm like, if someone had told me that, I'd be like, really? But now when I look at it, I'm like, yeah, I can mix a couple of tunes. There's loads of amazing DJs who can mix, that's fine. But to grab the mic, throw an instrumental on, come out of the booth, give you a little freestyle, sing like Walking Away Over, Still Dre, come back in, boom. Then we've got some new tunes I can play. Oh, let me do you a brand new one as well. That's why TS5 for me is so exhilarating because it's like I'm getting to DJ and sing some of my own tunes and I haven't got to look to anyone to to ask them what the playlist is tonight. Yeah. It's like, it's me and the crowd and we're vibing. And do you get a kick out of being kind of the ringleader? You're at the top and it's you're the host. Bro, it's, it literally is, is everything that got me into music is kind of seemed to f have full, come full circle and is what TS5 is now. I mean, back then I was playing other people's records when I was playing out. I was just like, you're just playing the big tunes, that's cool, and you're ad-libbing around it and hyping the crowd. But to be able to then say, well, I can play Fill Me In in my set. I can drop Rewind, I can drop nothing like this. And they like, ain't given up. We've got the new one, the Bastille tune, I Know You. I can't wait to play that in my set, man. That baseline drop on it is just naughty. So now your, your performance now, if mm. your build on a, it's TS5, is how you approach it? If it's my name, if it's Craig David, then it's, it's likely to be a, a band show. Okay. And if it's TS5, it'll be like, sometimes Craig David presents TS5, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And so th that was, you just touched on doing the tune with Bastille, mm. which is brilliant. And uh, two years ago, it was when the bass line drops. Yeah. How did you meet Big Nasty? I should just say, like, I'm a huge fan of his. He's wicked, but, man. And I couldn't... Have you met, have you met, yeah? Never met. We've interacted online before. He, he wears his heart on the sleeve. How and did he's that very... come about, you meeting him? Well, it was, I met him on, on Mr. Jam's show on BBC One Extra, and it was Crapped FM were doing the takeover. So I walked on the show and it was like the first person I meet who comes running over to me like, Cray! And, pr and like I said, he, he's the same as he is, like on camera, off camera, that's, you're just getting big nasty. And like he ran over, he's like, bro! He goes, oh man, me and my cousin Tyrone, we used to listen to like Booty Man when we were like growing, we were in, well, no, when we were um, uh, grounded. That's what he said, when, when we were grounded, <laughs> we listened to Booty Man. He goes, I know all the tunes. And I was like, Wow, because this is my first time meeting Big Nasty. I'd, I'd been following him before, but first I'm proper meeting the guy. Next thing you know, I'm in there and this, this Where Are You Now instrumental drops and I do a little freestyle of filming over it. Where are you now? Yeah, yeah okay. you know the drop. And, and then I did this little rap over it and it, it 
and all the bits that Big Nasty was doing in the background. So I'd be like, oh, why were you creeping around late? No, so we'd be like, can you feel me in? Why were you creeping? Why, why were you creeping? Ooh, yeah. And he, he was in the back of me going, ooh, yeah. Right, yeah, right. Those parts, when I, re when I cut the record, which we, we called 16 and put on the album, was influenced by him in the back going, ooh, yeah, the delays, ooh, yeah. I was just like, something happened in that studio that was priceless. And were you already working on a new album at that point? No, I was, I was, writing, I was writing songs, but like, something happened then meeting him that that moment going viral then meeting him going to the studio two weeks later and the first song we did was when the bassline drops and i remember coming in with these pineapple chunks he was, oh, this is the kind of guy that, oh, i just want to make sure your voice is okay and it's all cool i mean this is a big nasty he's like i was thinking bro you're just the guy like used to the fact you even thought of that yeah and for it to do so well and i was so happy for him because i was like you, you know what you've done so much and been trying to push the scene and do everything but for you to have a top 10 hit it's like the most amazing Huge. feeling and for me to have kids saying oh have you heard of this new guy called Craig David he's got this new tune out with Big Nasty I'm thinking new new guy yes <laughs> yeah I can wear that what it's a like when you, when you get ID'd yeah. you're kind of like yeah right. I try and tell people like who, who get ID'd but like, I'm like embrace that don't hate on that that's all good what they, they they're asking you for ID just for like they're thinking you're like under under 16 like roll with that for a minute it's all good and so you know in the media and in the public a lot of people mm. use the term comeback yeah and for you there must be an element where you're like well actually i've been creating and writing yeah. for however long but can you embrace that can you go actually yeah fuck it i am coming back yeah 100 percent, man it's like i'm totally cool with if you for the people growing up with my music i'm i'm ha i'm grateful for the support and love all the way but also i'm so happy that I'm able to make the music that I feel the people who got into my music the first time around can say, oh yes, thank you, that you, you're now able to give us the thing that has been the timestamp in my life when I had Fill Me In or I had this song and it just, they're getting that again, they're getting the me who, I get it, it's like you want this from me and yeah. I'm going to bring it the way you want. But to have a, a 14, 15 year old kid who is saying they just discovered me, it's like if, if you've only just heard I Know You song with Bastille that's your first song you've ever heard from me I'm totally cool with that it's not here oh no but I need to tell you some story about I used to sell this amount of records and this was the first tune I that's where I think an artist can be your demise if you're not careful because you're trying to hold on to the past of oh yeah I sold 30 million records and I'm this guy and that. to that 16 year old kid they do not care they are like are you relevant to me right now because if, if me and my mates aren't talking about you then we don't really care so having that again the re being relevant and that all comes down to, from people ask, what's the secret? For me, it was to lean into the unknown, it was to work with that 18-year-old kid who's going to look at me and be like, talk about me almost in the past tense, but very flattering, and say, oh, I love Rewind, I love filming in from back in the day. And you're like, okay, well, I need to get in the booth then. And Prove to you that you love me today as well. Yeah, wait for the talkback button to be pressed after I've given ad-libs for days, and hear, ooh, bro, you still got it, you still got it. <laughs> a couple of those makes that candle start to burn into a bit of a flame, and you're like, okay, and you're working with the people who are on the come up, so then when Blonde have their hit, with All Cried Out, and you've got nothing like this that happens in their period, and then Cigar is starting to happen, you're, but you're on the wave with him, not, oh, let me just grab some names while we can, that by the time that you 
come. It's like people, you're, you're with the wave. You're not swimming against it or trying to jump on the board and the surfboard's already sort of flying off. So it's, it's so amazing seeing two generations, man. I'm so grateful, it's, mate, it's incredible. Yeah, and as a result, you were on the pyramid stage this year man. at Glastonbury, which is like the holy grail, you know, of, of platforms. You played Glastonbury, you played Glastonbury, yeah, you, you yeah, played yeah. the pyramid stage. I have, yeah. Did you play like this? Th th um, so this year we were on the other stage. The year before we weren't there, and the year before that was the pyramid How stage. How was it? I just want to get your vibe on it, man. Oh, as well, no, 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 like, like uh, it's. I, I don't know how to explain <laughs> it because <laughs> I, I remember the other stage so much more clearly, not right. just because it was this year, but the pyramid stage was just. It's a lot of people, isn't it? I man? don't even know. You're just you get on the get on the stage. And it's that moment where you just go, right, well, this is it now. <laughs> yeah. Just you're, you've got to go. Well, I'm so happy for you, man. Like, when I hear... Because it, it, it's straight... The one thing I found that was strange to me is that when you go out, it's like you are so far away, yeah, from the crowd. Yeah, it's literally like you're having your own little party that's going <laughs> yeah. on the stage, yeah, because you want to reach the person right at the end, yeah? yeah. You, 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 I mean, it's throwing to them over the PA and through the, the screens, but... Your space is so intimate. The, the stage is weirdly small as well. Yeah. When you're actually on it, not, it's not a small stage, but from the TV or from the audience, it always looks like it would be like a football pitch. I'm telling you. And we're then saying, you get on saying. and you're like, whoa, okay. And there was like a pit in the middle where the photographers were and everything mm. were. So it was like, so it was even more further away from the, the closest part mm. of the crowd. It was just a very surreal moment. I'm so happy that, you, that, you, that you've played it because it's... The year before, I'd done the Sonic stage. Nice. And that was, I thought, I'd done my Glastonbury. I'd had my Glastonbury moment. I'd never got to do it with the Born to Do It days. It was more guitar bands. No, it was like, I think it hadn't got to that phase where, I think with Jay-Z kind of performing, it kind of opened it up to it being a Absolutely. bit more diverse. So I never played it. So I did Sonic stage, had my Wellington boots on, had a little, little walk around, and I thought, you know what? Fantastic. I've been here at Glastonbury, and I can say I've played Glastonbury. Man, when I got that call, the next year for the next year and I was like what and then they said what stage and the time of it I was just like are you actually for real and then I walked out bro and I was just like I was genuinely emotional because I was yeah everything the band show performing in the reaction but then doing a TS5 25 minute set that I did in the middle I was literally having an out-of-body experience of back to my mates messing around with the playlist in my Miami apartment yeah thinking how far this has come yeah. this is you can't tell you can't even tell these dreams man like it's madness man and yeah, I know you, you you feel the same in terms of things that you have probably said to yourself and seen them come to fruition that you're just like this this is magical this there's, is you're actually f seeing it with your own yeah. eyes and there's a there's a whole load of stuff that opportunities you end up doing that are pinch yourself moments I guess yeah um and there's uh, only a handful of times where I can remember being emotional on stage mm. to that extent. And this year at Glastonbury was one of them where you're just like, right. And what I do as well is I, whenever I play, the last two times I've played Glastonbury, yeah. um, my dad has actually bought on one of my guitars for the guitar change. Just, you know, the, yeah, on yeah, pyramid yeah, stage. Yeah. And it's like, do you know what? Fuck it, I'll kick myself if I don't do this. Yeah, yeah. So I can get dad on How stage. How he feel? He loves it. And this year, like, he's a rock star. He owned it. He was like, <laughs> added shades on. And yeah, I love it. <laughs> Give him a second, man. If you own that microphone, he'll be saying, you know what, let me just do a little couple. One, two, check. One, two, one, two. Do you know what, though? I love that you're aware enough 
to see what that would mean for your dad to oh, come on yeah. and do that. It's, th- it's those. I think that for me is what's making this whole thing so much more exciting. Is that I'm seeing the effects it's having on other people, and it's bringing them into it. Because like you know what, I'm, I'm grateful. I mean, as long as I got food on my plate, roof over my head, and clothes on my back, and I'm I'm living a life of, uh, that most people couldn't even dream of. Yeah. So if I can bring people in and let them experience this. And bring people through artist-wise. Bring people up who can don't don't try and hold people down. No, I think no. a lot of artists get to a point they're like, well, I'm up here now, and it took me so it was so hard to get here. Everyone else, you calm yourself down. It's a competition. Nah, we're all going to eat today. Let's That's the beautiful thing about music is it's yeah. not competition. It's of course, absolutely. Um, the funniest thing about Dad coming on stage <clears throat> uh, the, when we did the pyramid stage was afterwards he was like, right, okay, I've been inside of stage up until that point. Now I want to go outside and enjoy it from the from the audience. Yeah. And so he got as close to the front as he could, and this woman was like, "Excuse me, that was my spot." And everyone around was like, "That's George's dad, leave him be." <laughs> it was like everyone had his back. <laughs> what that? Yeah. But you know what? I think that must be amazing to be in. Because my dad does a similar thing, like. He, he just goes off. I don't know where I like. He, I don't know where he is. But he'll, he'll be by the sound desk, but then he'll be in the middle of the crowd chatting to somebody. And I think just for that perspective, to and I hope at some point in my life, like if any of my kids are in that situation, I don't know if they might be musicians or whatever. If they did go that route, to be in there and just to hear people talking about and, and so uplifted by someone that you've raised, I think that must be the maddest. Absolutely. I saw that from my mum's side of stage when I did um, the Common in Southampton. Um, so it was common people and I was doing a TS5 set and she was getting really emotional because I knew that she remembered just looking through from the lounge into my bedroom when I was the making exact mixtapes same, same she said Craig this is exactly the same and you've got this is the same common you walk through to get to school and there's probably the whole of Southampton is here and my dad there and he he doesn't give away anything and he's got poker face at the best of times yet but he cracked a little smile there and I saw him I saw a little tear up yeah. tear up in the eye I clocked him so no, it's beautiful if we could just end on I mean it's uh, it goes without saying I think you're going to be doing this for a very long time I think you Thank obviously you. love it and people love that you do where do you see it going are you just going to keep writing have you got projects in mind and to be absolutely honest my man is like the reason why I called the album time is now is that what I've realised is that it's just enjoy this moment because everything else you can always don't don't hold yourself back from hopes and dreams but if you keep trying to get to that thing where you're going to get com- fulfilment and be complete you'll never get it just be here in the moment I'm happy right now that we were able to do this podcast together I'm living life man I'm living the dream right now on this so I'm, I'm grateful that we got to meet like this thank you very much pleasure my man There you have it, Craig David, what a guy. Um, a huge thank you to Craig and his team for helping put this together. Uh, it was amazing, I loved it. And of course, a huge thank you to Warren Borg, editing extraordinaire, Oshin Griffin for putting the amazing podcast visuals together, Mr. Josh Sanger and the Closer Artist team, thank you for all of your, for your help and hard work, it means a lot to me. And of course, a huge thank you to all of you supporting the podcast. It really does mean a lot to me. Thank you very much. Um, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I sure did. Um, Yeah, and all that's left to say is keep on smiling, don't go changing, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
Turn your distractions off and discover your new favorite podcast. This is Bose Recommends. Hi, guys. I'm Nat Coombs from the NFL show with Nat Coombs. Yep, that was a title that took us hours to come up with. We're thrilled to be involved with Bose Recommends because, frankly, we are having a great time making this show. We drop episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, and the clue is very much in the title. We're all about the NFL. I'm joined each episode by terrific guests from both sides of the pond, players past and present, journalists, comedians, writers, you name it. They love NFL, they're in. So what are you waiting for? Get involved. Acast, iTunes, all your favorite podcatchers. It'll be good to have you with us. Enjoy your new favorite podcast without distractions. Discover how at Bose.co.uk. Bose. Focus on.